Welcome to episode number 19 on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell us their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, my name's Conrad Weaver, and I'm the host for the show. I'm a filmmaker, entrepreneur, storyteller, and today I'm so happy that you've stopped by to listen to the show. Whether this is your first time at the My Story Podcast or you're a regular listener, thank you for stopping by and listening to the show. There are millions of podcasts out there, and I'm honored that you'd listen to this one. On the show today is my interview with Jen Presendance. I hated myself. I would lay in bed at night and just squeeze my skin as hard as I could in hopes that I would magically turn into somebody else. Jen is a recovery advocate, an author, and speaker. Her story is a compelling journey that involves sexual abuse as a child, which eventually led to a heroin addiction and finally to a life of recovery. Jen will tell you that recovery is possible. And her story is a great example of this. So without any further ado, here's my interview with Jen Presendance. So Jen, welcome to the My Story Podcast. Hello. It's good to have you on here. We connected a while back on Instagram. And and so it's great to have you on the program and to hear a little bit more about your story. It's awesome to be here. So it's nice tell to me hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, it is good to hear your voice too. <laughs> tell me a little bit about you, you, where you live, and your family, and all that. Okay, so my name is Jen, and I live in Southern California. And um, I have two children, a six-year-old and a two-year-old. So I am super busy, Mama. Going through the terrible twos. Oh, we're going through the terrible everythings. Yeah, she's a handful, but she's amazing. My kids are, you know, I really did not ever expect to be a mother at all. Um, So it's been just a journey, an amazing one. Um, So, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm doing my thing and I'm an author and I'm writing two more books at the moment. Wow. <laughs> totally wow. don't suggest how... <laughs> writing two at the same time, but they're I was all gonna just... say, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, you shouldn't. You absolutely should not. But I started one, which my second book, you know, my first book is just my, a general overview of my, I want to say a memoir, but it's actually going to be a series of five books that will collect together to be my memoir. short reads. Yeah. Um, it's just an overview of basically my story. And then, um, my next book was going to be strictly my addiction story, addiction and recovery story. Okay. Um, I I view my addiction as an, an abduction in a Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it abducts everything that, that we are when, when Mm -hmm. we fall into addiction. And so it was, it is going to be written in that, perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my following book was going to be, um, or is going to be, um, letters to my inner child about healing from childhood sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. However, all of it's coming to me together. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to like write them both at the same time. We'll see which, yeah, it's a lot. Which one comes out first, right? (laughs) Whatever comes, whatever finishes first. Yeah. It's a, it's a process publishing a book. My goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So did you start out wanting to write? 
I've always been a writer. I mean, I've always, I shouldn't say been a writer, but I've always loved writing. I've always journaled. Um, Journaling Mm -hmm. has saved me so much throughout my life from a lot of stuff. Um, So I've always loved writing. I did not, the, the book idea just, you know, I have kind of a, wow story and I I know it's kind of out there and a lot of people always say you know my gosh you should write a book and so after a while I'm like well maybe I should you know maybe I should write a book and I just you know I had a lot of journal um you know journaling that I had saved and stuff and so I just started kind of putting it together and I'm like holy crap you know I have I kind of have like a book here thing huh yeah. Yeah. So it's been great. It's been, you know, it's very, it's a very vulnerable feeling. Put your, putting your story out there. Um, yeah, sure. You know, it's kind so. of like sitting someone down in front of a camera, like what I do, you know, and producing right. heroin script. And I'm just amazed at the people that I work with that were willing to just kind of bear their soul and tell yeah. their story. And it's really humbling on my end. It is. I am humbled daily by, you know, by the people that I interact with and um, the communities I'm involved with. It's just, you know, the uh, the people in recovery are like the salt of the earth, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's just like when you've been to hell and back, Hmm. um, it just gives you some sort of, you know, you just have this compassion and willingness to just do whatever. You just want to help people in some way. You know, for the past three years, you know, I've, I've worked on, you know, my documentary Heroin's Grip and, you know, and I, and I like to say in the talks that I give that, you know, I got to spend two years of my life hanging out with people I never thought I'd hang out with. Yeah. And it totally changed me. Yeah. And it changed my perspective and it gave me such a respect for people like you who have been through hell, like you said, and, yeah. and have, you know, come through the other side and are still fighting. Yeah. Because it's a daily fight, right? It, yeah. it. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, the, I have over eight years in recovery. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, miracles. Lots of miracles put together. But it does get better. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in like, you know, my addiction for me at least and for a lot of people was is just a manifestation of a lot of unresolved trauma and issues. Mm-hmm. So my fight to not use drugs today is very minimal. You know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. wake up in the morning anymore wanting to use. However, my journey from healing from all the things that I was willing to die to avoid, that is a journey that I'll be on for, for my life, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the important stuff. You know, if we just treat the addiction, it's mm-hmm. like cutting the weed off at the top, but the root's still there. You know, we got to get right. down to the sure. root and find out why the pain, what, you know, why, did, how did this happen and how can we heal our lives? You know, everyone's mm-hmm. capable of healing their life. That's. So you know, without getting into all the details, because we want yeah. people to go out and buy your book, tell right. me just kind of the cliff notes of your story. What, you know, what, where did you grow up and what journey did you take to get to where you are today? Yeah. How did I get here? <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, I, um, many, many people ask me, you know, when did your addiction start? And, and I believe my addictions, like I said, you know, are manifestations from a lot of things that I went through as a child. And, um, it it comes out in my behaviors and my thinking and my feelings. And so I, I've been, you know, I had been working on and perfecting the art of escaping pain since Hmm. that my very first memories, 
of a, as a little wow. girl. You know, I, I grew up in a home uh, full of addiction and untreated so mental illness. Parents, yeah. My mom, my, my dad now and my brother now, but my mom then, um, mm. untreated mental illnesses. My mom is, you know, just debilitated with mental illnesses. Um, mm. And so I grew up with a lot of chaos and, and a lot of confusion. And, you know, I just wanted her to love me. And I, I was willing to do anything and be anything that she wanted. And it was just never enough. And so I felt very unloved and, and un, unseen. And um, when I was about three, my parents decided to join a religious cult. <laughs> So, yeah, I laugh because this is my life. I mean, we're like talking about grocery shopping for me. You know, I talk about this all the time, but yeah, it was not funny. Um, I was born in Santa Barbara, California. Um, But when we joined that cult, they moved all of us to Mobile, Alabama, which is where I lived till I was nine. Yeah. That's a big change. (laughs) Huge change. And, you know, as, as, as things like that go, um, you know, over the, over time, things began to become very controlling. There was a lot of financial abuse, spiritual abuse, you know, um, and for me, um, sexual abuse, the elder of the church called me into his office and played with my hair and and gave me all the attention that I never received at home. You know, Mm -hmm. I was starving for love. Mm -hmm. Sure. I was a perfect target for a predator because, you know, he knew everything about my family. So he knew how broken my mom was mm-hmm. and how everybody was so distraught. And, you know, I was I was a perfect target. So and he took advantage of that, right? Very much so. And, you know, I um, I learned to escape my my situation through my in my mind I would leave my body to him and I would drift off of my imagination and I never told anybody anything Hmm. and you know he molested me until I was almost 10 when my dad fled finally fled that situation and we moved back to California um but all those secrets you know and all that it grew into a beast of shame inside of me that you know I I literally between all the stuff at the church or the cult, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then to my situation at home with my mom and just, um, I hated myself to a degree that I can't even come up with in words. You know, I would lay in bed at night and just squeeze my skin as hard as I could in hopes that I would magically turn into somebody else. I mean, I just was tortured and, you know, developed eating disorders at like seven, you know, so many things. I just, you know, my son is six and I can't even fathom him even comprehending the stuff that I was put into the situations. Um, But, you know, when I was 12, I found a bottle of vodka Hmm. and I'm telling you, you know, and I, and I say this a lot that I believe I was an alcoholic from that first drink because it was the first piece I had ever known. And, um, the beast of shame inside of me was, was quieted for the first time ever, you know, and I would, I, before that little drink was even halfway finished, I was already scheming in my mind of how I was going to get more and drink the rest of my life. You know, I never, I I just, I was always trying to escape myself somehow. And I did that. I drank as often as I, a 12 year old can find alcohol, you know, um, I was obsessed constantly with trying to find it. Um, 
But um, as my drinking and my alcoholism grew and grew, um, you know, and I wasn't facing anything of my past. I was keeping so many secrets, secrets that were the stuff that was going on at home with my mom and hallucinations she was having and suicide attempts and just horrible stuff and all the secrets from, you know, my childhood sexual abuse and um, that pain just kept growing. And that's what happens when we don't face that stuff. It does not go away. It actually grows right behind us. And so alcohol, you know, stopped working. Sure. And um, in a weird, you know, I don't know if it was just a, what you want to call it, a stroke of bad luck, twist of fate. I had to have a wisdom tooth pulled and I was prescribed Vicodin. Hmm. And that is a very, and I'm sure being in what you've done with your film, you know, it is a very common, common way that people slip into an opioid and heroin addiction is through a prescription from a dentist or somebody. Statistics say that about 85% of people who use uh, IV heroin started with some kind of prescription. Absolutely. You know, and again, from that, I mean, I I can remember two pills in, I, I was obsessed you know, and just like you were when you just like the alcohol, it's like, I was just obsessed. It calmed, it quieted the beast again, because like I said, the alcohol wasn't working Mm -hmm. anymore alone, you know? And so, you know, I became an absolute, you know, I had many procedures I didn't need done. (laughs) You know, I doctor Mm -hmm. shopped and ER hopped. Mm -hmm. Um, How old were you at this time? Um, I think I was in like maybe 20. Okay. And um, I be, became, you know, I found somebody that sold stuff on the streets. I started Oxycontin, you know, I ended up losing every friend I had, every, you know, I became homeless. You know, a lot of people assume I became homeless as a heroin addict. No, I did not. I became homeless as a prescription pill addict. Hmm. Um, that, that can happen, you know, I mean, right. just because sure. it comes from a doctor does not make it any less, yeah. you know, destroying it destroyed my entire life um Mm. and I ended up homeless and you know um living that life and one day I was on this couch of some guy I was staying with and I was and with horrible withdrawals and there's really no way to describe opiate withdrawal unless you've been there it's it's all consuming and they said, he said he had a guy coming over. I assume the guy had pills, you know, so I was like stoked. And, um, when he got there it had heroin and a needle. Wow. And, you know, at that point I did not have any self-worth whatsoever. I thought I was worthless and, and I didn't care about myself. And two, I was absolutely desperate. And so I just put my arm out, please help me. <laughs> wow. And, from that moment on, you know, I was a heroine and I added meth to the spoon and, um, I, for about 13 years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Homeless, hopeless, eating from garbage cans. There were times when I would walk the streets and talk to myself in psychosis. Hmm. Just, I mean, I could tell you go on and on and on, but you know, how did, what, what was the catalyst to, to you getting sober? Um, well, you know, I'd been, I was in and out of jail. I just more times than I could count. And, um, I was finally sentenced to prison. I was sentenced to four years in prison, state prison. 
And, you know, when I got to prison, I still behaved like I did on the streets. I was holding in so much pain. I acted so tough, you know, and um, I started smuggling tobacco and just, you know, the thing that helped me in prison is that my access to drugs, although there are drugs in prison, it is not as plentiful. So I, w- I didn't get strung out in there. Yeah. Um, and it gave me time. I think I needed that time to kind of, I mean, I was so fogged over that the last time I was arrested, I, I had lost the ability to read. I literally wow. could not put, you know, letters together to make a word or words to make a sentence. I mean, I was gone. And so, it, it, you know, about halfway through my sentence, I had just a moment that just, you know, a, a sensation came over me and I just looked around at my surroundings and it hit, it finally hit me. I was 34 years old and I had absolutely nothing to show for my feet being on that earth hmm. all those years, nothing. I had tr- track marks on my neck and a horrible felony record and, and nobody and it just finally hit me that that I need to do something to change my life um, or it, before my addiction took my life from me. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a teeny tiny spark. It was really small, but a small, small spark that finally ignited in my heart that that I just didn't want to die that way. Like I just mm-hmm. didn't want to die on some filthy McDonald's bathroom floor. You know, I didn't want to overdose in some riverbed as a transient with her identification pending. And that is the absolute reality of where my addiction goes. That is not at all far-fetched for that to have happened to me. What do you think was that spark that gave you that thought? You know, I I, I call it a divine intervention. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, whether you believe in a God or, or the universe, you know, or if you th- or it could have been in my intuition. I'm finally hearing after all those years of being so loaded, you know, I don't know. For me, I feel like it was some something bigger than me. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like there's a lot of miracles, you know, left to my yeah. own devices, you know, I, I should be dead. So something clicked in me, you know, and mm-hmm. I just held on. There was still a purpose and a reason for you to be here. There was, absolutely. You know, and, and I even when I didn't see it, there was. And so I just, that's why I say, you know, I just, there's a lot of miracles that I can't quite explain. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do not know how I survived all those years. And I mm-hmm. do not know how I managed to stay. The first four years of my recovery were horrible because I still hadn't faced so much pain and so i was just not using you hadn't dealt with what what you no. had experienced in pat in the past no i had not i was just trying you know i i couldn't even understand how people brush their teeth without using i mean my whole entire life was saturated in addiction and addiction mm-hmm. behavior mm-hmm. so my first couple years were just i mean learning how to exist in regular life, you know, mm-hmm. I, I did not know how I, I was, you know, I lived my life like an animal, really. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the interviews I did for my film, one of the families that I interviewed, they, they were talking about their son and people in addiction. They said people that are caught in addiction get behind in life. Oh, yeah. And oh, totally. Yeah, you're, you're completely stunted. Thing, mm-hmm. For sure. So I, you know, I was 34, but I mean, on the, on the outside, but the inside was just, I was, I was a wounded little girl on the inside. I hadn't faced anything. I was just so raw. And so, 
um, you know, the first several years, I just held on to the fact I didn't want to go back to prison sometimes. You know, there, I had no hope for happiness. I, I did not think that there was any life possible for someone like me. I just sometimes didn't want to go back to prison. Or I think about how horrible, you know, I didn't want to be living under a bridge anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, hold on to what you got to hold on to. It doesn't matter. Hold on to it. I don't care right. what it is. I don't care if someone tells you that's not the right reason to get into recovery. Don't listen to anybody else. Hang on because it does get better and then it gets good and then it feels like freedom. But it does not happen overnight and everybody's timeline is different, you know, and I, my timeline, it took me a long, long time. And then as time went on, I, I started really feeling like, okay, you know, all these memories are coming up and I just, I just knew in my heart that it's time for me to face my, my childhood. It's time. And what did you, and, and how did that happen? How did you go through that? <laughs> well, I just kind of back, I started backtracking from, from the day I was at back and I had to work through a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff with my mom. Um, you know, I basically grew up without a mom um, and I had to work through a lot of resentment and a lot of confusion and a lot of bl I blame myself, f you know, for not, you know, and I thought I was not worth enough. You know, my mom didn't want to live for me. So who would, you know, I'm just not worth anything and all this stuff. And it just all lies. I believe so many lies in my life. It's ridiculous. Um, and I backtracked through just a forest of wreckage and ended up, you know, back at that little girl who was shaken and quiet in the corner and waiting for him to come in the room. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've had to do a lot of, I did a lot of therapy and I, I did a lot of writing and I do a lot and I still do a lot of inner child work where I actually, um, you know, I meditate on a picture of myself, not meditate on her, but I hold mm -hmm. a picture of myself at that age and I envision and I pick her up and hold her and tell her that none of that was her fault and she is sunlight and perfect and that she doesn't have to be afraid anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and all these things I do, it all connects to my addiction recovery right? because I have to heal inside sure. or I'm going to want to use again because the pain will be too great. Right. So at what point then did you say, Hey, I've got to put this into a book form? Well, you know, I, um, my life started coming together and, you know, I, um, I got this, you know, I, ha I have, I had my son, Becoming a mother was huge for me and for lots of reasons, which you can read my book if you want to hear about all that. <laughs> lots of reasons why being a mother affected me in a lot of ways. Um, but then I just, you know, I started read. I, I remember, you know, I started going on social media a little bit and I'd always been outspoken, not always, but when I started my recovery journey, I really... I felt that passion that I'm sure you saw in so many people you interviewed to share the real raw truth of my life because I wanted to help. I want people to know they're not alone. There, there is a huge yeah. power in that me too, you know, and, and yeah. hearing that, you know, you're not wrong. You're not too damaged. Like there's so many of us out there and, um, 
you know, you're not alone. And that's, that's such a big, amazing feeling for somebody that's, you know, addiction is a very isolating right. problem. It's just, right. it's an, it's, a, it's an isolation is, is horrible, you know? And, um, so I started, you know, I've always shared in my like local, you know, meetings or, you know, whatever. And then I just like, I, I got into social media a little bit and I, I remember my first share where I really shared about like my mom, my you know, my mother wound, not having a mom and being a daughter. Was that scary? It was terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it was, I was afraid people were going to be, you know, give me a lot of grief about, you know, having to set boundaries with a mom, you know, but that's your mother, that's your family, you know? And I did get some of that, but what I mainly got was messages from women just flooding my DMs telling me, thank you for telling my, you just basically told my story or thank you for having the courage because I thought that there was something wrong with me. And I thought maybe I'm onto something. And from that day on, I've just been, you know, I share it all. I share about my addiction. I share about, you know, the sexual abuse and I share about my mother wound and I just share it all. And, you know, it's like every day I'm just, I'm blown away by the responses from people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so moving. I am moved to tears every day by somebody. The courage that people show and their willingness to heal and face just horrendous stuff. It's just, you know, I believe in this life so much. Mm-hmm. I, I just, how did, how did writing your book play a role in your recovery process? Oh, you know, I mean, it was, it was so good for me, you know, to, well, first of all, just, I love, I think writing is super therapeutic. I highly recommend people do it. I also recommend using a pen and paper. I think there's something healing with a pen and paper. I actually write my books in a pen and paper, which everyone thinks I'm so strange, but it is, it is, there's something really amazing that happens when you write with a pen and paper versus, you know, on your laptop or whatever. Um, so that part was therapeutic. It was really good for me to, to be, to find that last like little bit of courage to like send out my story for the world, for anybody to see, you know, and, and be like, you know what, this is, this is my truth. And, it may not be a story for everybody. It may not be a story that's going to resonate with everybody, but it is a story for someone. And the fact that I'm alive today and not just alive, but I'm actually like living and thriving in life. There is a difference, right? Oh, straight, huge, huge difference. Yeah. Survival mode sucks. I've been a survivor my whole life Hmm. and that shit is not the, is not, that's not living. Yeah, people, I mean, there are some people whose hearts are beating, but they're not living. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, survival mode is, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't recommend it. And, you know, I've been in survival mode since day one of my life, really. Mm-hmm. So it's such a blessing to be like, I don't wake up treading water anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually wake up and have the, the, feelings in my heart to do something better. Like I always say, I don't even want to be the woman I am right now next year. You know, like I just want to keep everything's in motion. 
You know, I just want to keep in motion. You know, this world is so, has so much to offer. And the fact that I actually believe today that I'm worthy of whatever it is, is just huge. And I, I just cannot keep that to myself. I have to spread that. So who did you write the book for? Who, who's the, when you were writing the book, who did you think was going to read this? You know, it is kind of directed for towards women. Um, I have had a lot of men really find a lot out of it. But, you know, I, I wanted to write a book. You know, I wanted to target my audience to women mm-hmm. who are trying to heal from their childhoods. Um, it is obviously my addiction stories in there. And, you know, like I said, I that's kind of why I'm writing little short books that come together because they're all kind of specifically targeted to certain things so that people can find something that maybe they feel more drawn to. Um, but most people that have, have unresolved trauma are also in addictions or are in recovery from addictions. I mean, that is the connection is, is, as strong as like diabetes and obesity or something. I mean, it's like huge. Right. And it's something that needs to be talked about. It's something that needs to be looked at. And, you know, um, it is something I hear daily, 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 constantly from other other people in recovery and people in their addictions. You know, I just wanted I wanted to write it to people who felt like they weren't worth anything. Hmm. You know, those are my people. (laughs) Wow. Those are my people, you know, the mm-hmm. the people that are just even right now on the streets right now, you know, um, allowing them their bodies to be ravaged for a five bag of heroin because they're sick. Mm-hmm. You know, those are my people mm-hmm. because those people are worth something and they're worth just as much as anybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and they need to be told that they're loved. And that that healing is possible and not just told, but shown what healing looks like. I can't heal anybody else, but I can show what I've done to heal my life and and that it is possible and that I was just like them. What should people and and so when I'm showing my film, I often tell people that, you know, I'm I'm not someone in recovery. I've never went down the addiction path. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, for for many years, I had the attitude of, it's not my problem. Right. Why should I do anything about this? What can people, like I said, like me, what should we do? What, what can we do to help people like who you were? Yeah. You know, it's a, that's a very tricky question because like I said, addiction is like an abduction. You mm-hmm. are not speaking to that person anymore. You're speaking to their addiction. Hmm. And so it is very tricky to get someone back. It's like, it's like Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's where you are absolutely in hell, but you are so screwed up and manipulated that you actually protect that abuse. That is exactly what addiction is. And so it is very difficult. You know, the thing I would say the most is that, Everybody deserves kindness. Right. And everybody deserves to be treated as a human being. And addiction is not the easy way out. And that is a very ignorant belief that addiction is like choosing the easy way out. If you to live in a life of addiction is hell. It is horrible. 
And so I think instead of seeing people as lazy or trying to get the easy way out or whatever, you know, see them as suffering. And, you know, addiction affects anybody and any any economical or social, it can happen to your child. <laughs> And so instead of separating yourself like, oh, you know, that's just not my problem. Well, it could very well be your problem. And guess what? That person that's on the street that you're looking down on may recover and be the person that saves your kid. Well, that's some of the exact things that I've been hearing for the past couple of years from people that I've worked with and interviewed. And and, the message that I'm trying to bring when I go out to speak to people is that, People caught up in addiction need love. They mm-hmm. need acceptance. They need they need you to put your arm around them and say, you know what, I'll walk with you through this journey as difficult as it may as it may get. And that's a very very hard thing to do. Yeah, it is very hard, and it's very hard. You know, there's a lot of behaviors that suck <laughs> yep. when you're yep. when you're an addict. I mean, when right. you're in an addiction, you're. I was you know behaving in a way that did not match who I was in my heart. And, and that's pretty much what they're, what everybody in addiction is doing. That's not who they are. Mm-hmm. You know. So, who are some of the the people who have influenced you in your recovery? Oh goodness, there's so many. I mean, you know, I, I and as I change, things change. So, like, you know, now I'm I'm really getting into like. Um, EMDR therapy and stuff. I mean, there's so many like Gaber Mate and um, Johan Hari. Uh, gosh, I, there's uh, Brene Brown. There's so many writers and, you know, speakers and, and people that, you know, really, they are also in recovery and just really speak to the human, you know, like having compassion And, you know, that's the thing for me, you know, I'm not really, I don't really play too much with the whole, you know, dealing with like whether Matt is good or not, or the logistics and the chemicals and all that stuff, because I feel like, you know, that's all important, but I'm here to get to the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm here to dive the with you. The underlying root. I'm here to dive with cause. you with, yeah. into everything mm-hmm. that lives just below that surface of mm-hmm. sobriety. You know, and I don't actually use the word sobriety hardly ever because mm-hmm. sobriety to me is the absence of substances, and recovery is healing the parts of me that once needed those substances to survive. Mm-hmm. So how do you, do you stay active in your community, in the recovery community? Yeah. I mean, I'm active. My life, my life is recovery. I mean, you know, so I'm constantly, obviously, I mean, social media, um, DMs, podcasts constantly. And my, I have, you know, I go to NA and AA when I can out here. And Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is recovery my whole entire life, you know? Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be that way. And, I, and you know, it doesn't even have to be. I should not even say that. I, I like it that way. You know, I, I love it that way. Does that keep you kind of on the straight and narrow, so to speak? It keeps me, um, it keeps me a lot, you know, like enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's about, it keeps me just feeling. So I wake up in the morning and I just feel so on fire for life. And for the possibilities. And I see a lot of stuff. I see people, there's people dying all the time. People that I just couldn't, I couldn't reach, you know, and that nobody could reach. And they're just dropping like flies, you know, the drugs are changing. And, um, you know, the people that 
years ago may have survived their addiction to find recovery and, and, um, you know, become another person like me who's sharing their story are now dying because the drugs are changing and people are overdosing everywhere. Right. And it makes it even scarier. You know, I'm, I have some friends, I have a lot of friends here locally who are really big involved in the local recovery community and their, their phone's always on, their phone's always going off text Mm -hmm. messages from one person or another. My one friend has said, you know, if I turn my phone off, I'm afraid that, that one call may be the call that's going to save someone's life. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Compassion fatigue. I think that is what they call that Um, when you, yeah, Yeah. it's very common. And I have definitely been through that. And I think it is so important to take care of yourself because if you can, if you empty yourself out and, and there's a lot of people that are not going to find recovery. And I, and, and that is the, that is the unfortunate truth of it, Right. but that doesn't mean we don't keep fighting. So it, it is hard. It is hard and heartbreaking to watch someone drowning, you know, like that quote, you know, to watch someone drown when all they have to do is stand up Hmm. and they're just drowning, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, it's like anything. It's even like motherhood, you know self-care and is so important. I cannot be, you know, a vibrant mother if I'm absolutely worn to the bone, you know? So I I definitely try to, I definitely make my own care important. I wake up in the morning and I do, you know, about an hour of my own time. I wake up before my children and that's my time to meditate and pray and write, and I drink my coffee, and I have my time to myself, and get my my heart right, and my spirit fed, and and then I'm ready for the day, you know. And there are times when I have to. Boundaries are so important, and boundaries are super important when you're dealing with addiction and people in addiction as well. Right. Sure. You know, and it is very difficult to set boundaries with somebody, but you, but you have to, you know, you because I matter too. <laughs> You know? Right, exactly. And, and if you so, don't take care of yourself and you're in an unhealthy place, then, uh, then I'm no good to anybody. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I, I definitely I have time set every morning to myself before I start, you know, answering my DMs or anything like that, you know, and um, and I just, you know, I I walk in nature and I and I'm with my kids and I just, you know, I try to have balance and you know there are times when there's a lot going on. You know, as far as um, maybe with somebody that's trying to get help or mm-hmm. or a lot going on, maybe, you know, with my book or whatever. And, yeah, sometimes I get off balance. You know, I'm human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm more I'm so I try to be really self-aware and catch it now and, and really reel myself back in because, you know, I, I don't want to be caught up in any one thing too much. I, I just want to, like, enjoy all that life has to offer. Right, right. So let me ask you this, and if you don't want to answer this, that's fine. So how does, or if it does, does faith in a higher power or God, mm-hmm. does that play a role in your life? Oh, it's huge for me. I, you know, I grew up, like I said, in the cult, and so I was abused in the name of God. And so it was difficult, you know, it's it was, di- it can be still difficult for me in organized religion. Mm-hmm. And so, but I've always known that that was not of God. 
Sure. And so sure. that was something completely wrong and, and, and twisted and manipulated by, by men, by right. man, you know, human beings. And so, um, you know, I, I am extremely spiritual and, and everyone will tell you that knows me, like, if you have a problem, if you're, you know, having a hard time with spirituality, come to my house because I will shove it in every orifice I can find <laughs> and I'm not religious and I don't have to, you know, you don't have to believe in, in my God or anything, but you know, spirituality is so huge. And, and for some people, spirituality is energy. Mm-hmm. You know, they get energy and feeling, you know, but for me, you know, yeah, I definitely believe that there's um, a God in my life that, mm-hmm. you know, someone that's been looking out for me and just um, has always known I was worth something, even when I believed I wasn't. And, um, you know, I, I think it's huge. I think it's important for people to you know, find I think something. The, there's a, there's a verse in, I think it's in Proverbs. that talks about how the creator knew you before. Yeah. Knew every hair uh, on your head. Yeah. Before yeah. you were even conceived. Yeah. You know, before, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, addiction, living a life in addiction that, that is, you know, there is no sight of spirituality in addiction. I mean, addiction cuts you off from the spirit or energies mm-hmm. it, instantly. So it's very difficult for people to come out of that existence and f- and latch on to spirituality right away. So I try to be very understanding about that. And I, I lived it. I was the same way, you know. Um, it just takes time and everybody has to find their own groove. And that's the thing, you know, like I really feel like, you know, recovery is – there's no perfect narrative for recovery. Everybody has a personal journey and we all need to support our own journey, everybody's journey. You know, people get very Bible beater ish about, you know, which way, which route they went. And so everybody better go that way or you're doomed to relapse or you're doomed to be, you know, just a miserable sober person. You know, well, I used to feel that way, too, because I, you know, went to NA and AA. The 12 steps saved me big time. Um, and so in the beginning, I was very fearful if anybody went another direction mm-hmm. because I found what worked for me. Right. So I was just like, oh my God, you can't do that because you're going to relapse. Uh, you can't leave NA or AA or you can't, you have to, can't go. And so as, as my recovery has expanded, I have expanded so far around the 12 steps that I have so many other tools. I love refuge recovery, celebrate recovery, all the recoveries, you know, um, mm-hmm. There's so many ways that people can find what fits them. Everybody's different. Right. You, know, you know, I've been told that uh, that there are many paths that lead into addiction. Yeah. And so there's also many paths that lead out. Exactly. This, the journey to addiction is very personal and the same with the journey through recovery, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I've just, I'm just like, whatever works. And that's why I say just hold on to it. Don't listen to what anybody, you know, all the the peanut gallery because (laughs) they're always talking. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about where we can get your book, uh, where it's available and how, what people can expect when they pick it up. So it is, yeah, shape of a woman and it is on Amazon and that's the only place I have it right now. It's like the central for books. Um, yeah, sure. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, um, it is a short read, so you don't have to worry about a super long book. <laughs> and, um, it's just an overview of, of my life and about healing and about that I'm not bound to the way I have been shaped and that nobody is. 
And we are all capable of healing our lives and taking our lives back from whatever held us hostage. And, you know, my next books will be coming out soon. And, you know, who knows? I I don't know. I'm just, I'm open for whatever. And that's the miracle of recovery. That's the blessing. That's the gift is that I don't have to just wake up and, you know, figure out how I'm going to get through the day. It's like, I actually have a future that Mm -hmm. is open wide and I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm here for it all. And anybody can have that. Anybody. That's that is so true. So, are you like available to speak? Or you you have this kind of uh, a yeah? I speak. Yeah, I speak. I I, you know I've been speaking, and you know what's weird is I'm such a writer that like speaking is like oh my gosh. I always like sign myself up to speak, and then and then I'm like kicking myself. Why did I say I was gonna speak? I'm (laughs) so nervous. You know, have to write your speech, and I know I'm like oh my god. If I could sit there and read it, be great, but you know I can't. So I'm like (laughs) oh, but yeah, I, I speak at you know events and um i just spoke at one recently that we had just had our first national sober day on the actual calendar mm-hmm. so i spoke at that and you know it's great i i love i just love people so much and i love connecting and there's just if if anybody wants to you know find me on social media um it's resurrection with a k underscore of underscore me that's instagram that's facebook that's twitter um, and I'll put all those links in the show notes below. Okay, so yeah. I mean, D- I answer all my DMs. You know, I, I have... And so, she does. I really do, she yeah. And I and I have <laughs> just an amazing amount of different communities that I'm involved in. And so even if maybe I'm not the one that, that you feel personally hooked with, or maybe you're looking for something completely different... I know so many amazing communities and that's what I do a lot is, you know, people come to me with different issues and, you know, I am not a therapist, but I know lots of therapists, you know, um, and I just, man, you never have to feel alone. I mean, there are just communities of people healing and talking and speaking and loving each other through so many things that, you know, for someone to feel alone today, just breaks my heart. It's just so unnecessary. Absolutely. And there's, there's, uh, I mean, even people like me who are not in recovery, you know, I, I care about people and I love talking to people and hearing their stories. And, and I wish more people would be willing to spend time with people in recovery because yeah. it there, I've, I've met some of the most amazing people on my journey. I, I yeah, it's, you know, it's amazing. It just, there's all, all the, people that have been through stuff and we all are, you know, I love people in general. You don't have to be in recovery, you know, but um, people that are willing to open up about their feelings and about their passions. And, you know, those people are, I love it, you know, artists and, you know, I don't know. I just think that people are just so, unfortunately there are people that are just, like you said, just their hearts are beating, but they're just not living. And that's just, you know, it's just, I, I just think life is so beautiful and it's, it's, yeah, there's, it's, is painful, but the, in the pain is the power to change your life. Hmm. There's my sentence. I was just going to say that. That's Boom, your log it line. came to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask you the question. Okay. In the movie about your life is made. What will the log line be? <sighs> the power to change your life is held in the pain that you're so desperate to avoid. That's perfect. That's it. That is the absolute <laughs> nutshell of my life. Yeah. 
That is amazing. Hey, so, game, woo! <laughs> yay. So what is the next big thing for you? A book? Yeah, the next big thing will probably be my next book. I, I, I think so, yeah. Who knows? So, I, I don't know, so you when, know, depending on if that, can, So when can we expect that? Oh, now, now. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I would say... Um, Gosh, six months maybe. I mean, it has to go through yeah. editing process and publishing sure. and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah. I don't self-publish, so I'm actually, and I'm going to actually right. go through a different publisher this time, I think. So I have to go okay. through all that, you know, process of them yeah. either wanting to publish my book or not. But yeah, yeah, that's that's probably the next thing. I really need to actually. I have so much going on between you know. I mean, I do tons of podcasts, tons and tons, mm-hmm. like literally. Mm-hmm. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the program today. It's Oh, uh, I love it. I'm so stoked you asked me. A little bit different from the rest of the, the shows that I've done in the past, but uh, you know, I, I love talking to you and hearing your story. And thank you for your time. And uh, congratulations on just all the things you've accomplished and where you're going and looking forward to uh, hearing more from you in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for telling your story. And if you know anyone who would be encouraged by Jen's recovery story, please send them the link to this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, make sure you hit the subscribe button and please share it with your friends and family. I'm always eager to hear your feedback, what you like, what you don't like. So if you could leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Next week on the My Story Podcast, we're going to hear from David Weigelt. David is the president of the Central Maryland C12 Group. He's an entrepreneur and a business leader here in Maryland. I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy our conversation, so tune in next week for my interview with David Weigelt. Hey, if you like the music on today's show, it's from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get his latest album, hear all his music on iTunes, on Spotify, or at drewdavidson.com. Last, if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast. Podcast.